You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to interview my friend Mike Bruce about his recent teaching experience in Ghana in West Africa. Mike is an old friend and colleague of mine. He's originally from Scotland, although he doesn't have a particularly strong accent, and he has lived and worked in places all over the world. I've known him for about 13 years, and he was one of the first people I ever worked with as a language teacher in Japan. Mike has an amazing CV. He's taught in lots of countries all around the world. He's very highly qualified, and as well as teaching students of English as a second language, he also teaches teachers how to teach. So he's pretty much a Jedi master of English language teaching, in my opinion. Uh, Mike recently came back from a teaching mission in Ghana. And judging by the Facebook photos and statuses that I saw on the internet, it was quite an epic experience for him. I thought it would be interesting to talk about uh, this experience on Luke's English Podcast. So my aim for this interview is to have a bit of a chat with Mike, just a bit of a chat, introduce him to my listeners, the, the Lepsters, the Lepans, the Lepians, the Lepanese, the Leplanders, the Lepish, the Lepaholics. Uh, to introduce him to you guys, and then to find out about his African teaching experience. If you go to teacherluke.co.uk uh, and find the page for this episode, you will be able to see the questions and notes that I used during this interview, and you'll also be able to see a slideshow of some of Mike's pictures from his Ghana experience, so do check that out. Now then, it's time to call Mike on Skype, so here we go. Hi. Hey, Luke. How are you? You right? Fine. You? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Not too cold? Uh, well, you know, typical London. Nice, nice grey, wet winter. Yes. But it's the only it's the only way to have a winter in London, I feel. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, if it was sunny and warm, you'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. I know. It's like walking around in a big, you know, winter's sweater in a, in a hot country. It's kind of a, you know, it's, it's disappointing. Not yeah. To be able Exactly. You expect it to be a bit cold and grey and, and miserable in London at this time of year. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How's, and how's Paris? Is well, it the it's, same? It's, it's pretty much exactly the same, although um, the the sort of stereotype of Paris, they, everyone seems to forget about the weather. But it's it's always the same as it is in London. But London always gets the bad <laughs> reputation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It's almost entirely the same here. <laughs> but but uh, London's obviously worse, though. I mean, we, we, we have British weather, not French weather. So exactly. it, it, we, it's kind of like, a, I think it's sort of like a little bit classier over there, isn't it, the weather, really? Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. It's just a higher of, class of rain. High, higher class of rain. <laughs> <laughs> champagne, isn't it, really? It's premium I mean, quality rain. Yeah, it, yeah, it basically yeah. rains champagne here in, in France. That's right. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we don't have proper rain. That's, uh, that's a problem. We don't have a title for it. Which no. Is, uh, no, no, that's, that's true. I hear that you, you're having trouble with your central heating as well, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah, so we've now it's now been forty eight hours with no uh, no <laughs> central heating, no hot water. Um, oh but sadly, the same thing happened 
almost exactly the same time last year with the same problem with the boiler so my landlord has obviously paid a lot of attention to yeah, <laughs> to the problem so yeah. i've already spoken to him so hopefully it'll be resolved very quickly so uh so we've got one more day of uh being very cold in in the house and then hopefully it will be resolved by uh tuesday so i'm hoping that's uh that's the way it's going to be <laughs> yes. well uh, for my listeners who can't actually see you um mike is actually um he's wrapped up in a in a, like full-on winter clothing he's got a scarf on and everything um so that's just a picture for you just in case he needs you know to let your imagination uh, sort of do some work there. Imagine Mike wrapped up in a scarf in an extremely cold London uh, <laughs> flat with no central heating in the middle of winter. Um, whereabouts are you in London? You're in sort of. I live in uh, North London in uh, Archway. Okay. So uh, it's sort of. Uh, it's about 10 minutes from work, really. I work in Highgate. Mm-hmm. So uh, I walk to, uh, to work most mornings. So it's, uh, well, most mornings, every morning uh, I walk to work. So it's only about 10, 15 minute walk for me. So uh, it's, it's, it's a nice area, sort of like quite close to Crouch End, um, yeah. which is quite a nice area, really, of London. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's, it, you know, when I first arrived in London in 2011, it was living down in Camden. Uh, and uh, I noticed a. Uh, uh, kind of a scary connection between uh, my bank account and uh, <laughs> <laughs> leaving Camden really? <laughs> and moving somewhere else. What Camden's yeah. expensive place to live then, is it? Uh, expensive and I didn't have the uh, the discipline to not go out pretty much every single evening. Right, <laughs> so, lots of pubs. No, no. Lots of pubs, too many pubs. We live very close to the uh, the main strip, so uh, okay. I haven't been to Camden now in about a year and a half or so because uh, I think I... Uh, did my time, right. did my time in Camden. Right. And your bank account's yeah. a lot healthier now as a result. Well, I wouldn't be, <laughs> really want to say that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're an English teacher like me. How healthy can the bank account be really in that position? Not, not, not that, not okay. that healthy. No, All right. Like, you know, yeah. Um, now, now, Mike, uh, recently on Facebook, I saw you uploading lots of photographs and lots of status updates about this incredible experience that you've had in in uh, Ghana teaching English mm-hmm. over there. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment okay. uh, because it looks fascinating. And uh, on Luke's English podcast, we always want to hear about um, uh, stories like that, you know, experiences of traveling abroad. That's very interesting. Welcome onto the podcast, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. How does it feel to be on this this award-winning download for learners of English, Mike? How does it feel? It feels absolutely amazing. I, I, I you know, I've, I, I've always, you know, wanted to uh, be involved in your uh, in your career and uh, see you reach the dizzying heights of VFL and. Uh, <laughs> Well, actually, Mike, I think that you always have been sort of involved in my career because, um, like, you're one of the first people that I ever worked with as an English teacher many, That's correct, many yes. years ago. Yeah. And also, yeah. as, as as well as that, you're also someone who you managed to get me my first job in a British Council accredited school in London. I don't know if you remember that. You no, I do, I do, I do, I do remember that school. Very well. <laughs> what a wonderful school it was, too. Oh, it, it was, it was amazing. I, I mean, I, I was, I was really happy to let you go in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was an experience. Yeah. It, was, it was an experience. It was. It was. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to name the school, but uh, no, we, we, we're not for legal reasons. No. no um, just for my listeners, Mike worked in a in a school in London, which was well, it was British Council accredited, which is normally a good thing, but it wasn't exactly the greatest uh, 
uh, establishment to work for. He left for obvious reasons. And obviously when he left, he knew that they needed a teacher. So he thought, which idiot can I ask to work in this nightmare? And he, of course he thought of me. But anyway, it, in a way it was a good step because it was my first British Council accredited school. That looks good on the CV. Also, Mike, you did the, um, you did the Delta, the diploma before me. A mm. couple of years, a couple of years before me. Was it? I did mine in 2005. When yeah, were you? You, you? you did yours in the year before me, then I did, okay, I did mine okay. the year after. I just remember you talking about it to me and even sort of like, you know, giving me a bit of a push, uh, suggesting that I should do it too. And then I did do it the year after and I got it as mm. well. Um, mm. So, but first of all, how do we actually know each other? Do you remember like the first oh, we, time? We, I think we, uh, we worked together the first time I met you was in uh, Zushi in, uh, in Japan. That's right. Uh, probably back in, I think it must have been what, 2000, 2001, 2001. Two, end of 2001, beginning of 2002. That's right. Yeah. And I was just about to, to leave. I think I was moving the following year. I think, I think you yeah. came across in like the September or so. I uh, was there in January actually mm. january 2002 and i and you left in like may 2002 i think that's right yeah that's yeah. correct yeah and yeah. i went down to australia after that but yeah so we worked together for about what i guess nine months or something nine months or so uh, 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 been, around, around about uh, that something so, like that yeah, yeah, about, ha yeah. about half a year i think yeah um, and yeah we worked together in that tiny little teacher's room in, yeah uh, in the little town of zushi just on the coast of uh, japan there near yokohama what do you remember about that time i mean that uh, was, probably, I, was that your first teaching job as well yeah it was yeah yeah i i i moved out to japan in october 1999 mm. uh and that was my very first yeah teaching experience really uh and ended up staying there for nearly just under three years two and a half years i think i was out there in total yeah. Yeah. um yeah and yeah i'd never ever uh, thought about teaching english before um was just kind of at a loss at the end of university not knowing what to do yeah. so uh someone said i'll oh, go to japan so i went okay <laughs> i'm gonna go to japan yeah. Yeah. um i moved across there so uh i think what I remember most is just like the group of friends that I sort of met there, that kind of mutual friends that we had as well. So yeah. Like uh, with John Graves. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, I know that you two used to sort of meet up and have your jam sessions together and yeah, things like that's this. Right. Yeah. Uh, I sort of remember our late night sort of farewell party and us going to an Izakaya when. Yeah. My leaving party at something like seven in the morning with John uh, <laughs> and his girlfriend at the time. Yeah, that's I, right. I do remember it being quite a comical sort of event. And uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, obviously at that time we were both like a bit younger. We were in our mid twenties and stuff. It was a typically sort of crazy time. And, yeah. and Japan is a great place for going out at night and and you know drinking a few beers and and all that sort of thing and getting into adventures and things. I remember. I don't know if I should mention this, but I remember some of the little uh, uh, situations that we ended up in. Do you remember, <laughs> Mike? Do you remember um, a character called the Drunken Gaijin? Do you remember that? Drunken the drunken gaijin. You don't know. Oh that is. dear, was that, was that that's not me, was it? Was that yeah, something I did? Yeah, um, something you did a few times. Uh, oh, was that about, was that about falling over? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you. Uh, I think it was falling down flights of stairs, wasn't it? <laughs> 
That's right. I've forgotten about that. You had a, you had a trick which you would do um, after you drunk enough beer, uh, yeah. which was, you know, most most of those nights that we went out and did things, um, you do this yeah. trick, you'd become the drunken gaijin. Just for anyone listening to this who doesn't know what a gaijin is, it's the Japanese word for a foreigner. So basically it's like the drunken foreigner. And uh, so Mike would just get quite drunk, um, you know, and we would all be having a good time. And then Mike would suddenly become this character called the drunken foreigner. And it would be just like this sort of irresponsible uh, foreign guy breaking all of the social rules of etiquette that you get in Japan. And there are quite a few. It's a very ordered society and people tend to follow numerous unwritten social rules. And as a foreigner living in Japan, you become very aware of these these things. They're like limitations on your daily life. You know, you've got to stand in the right place. You can't be too loud. Uh, don't be confrontational in public, all that sort of thing. And uh, I think probably what happens is the 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 the, the pressure of all that, that those social limitations got a bit much. And after a few drinks, it had to come out somehow. And so Mike would do this uh, this thing where he'd like fall down the stairs. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like you were a stuntman, a brilliant stuntman. And you know the way stuntmen fall downstairs, they do it without hurting themselves. Well, Mike would kind of do this. He would just be walking down the stairs and he'd pretend to pretend to fall over and tumble down the stairs. And we, it would just be amazing to watch the reactions of all the Japanese people around. Most of the time, there were almost no reactions because they're too sort of... I don't know. They're too shy or too embarrassed yeah. to make a big deal out of mm. it. So the more... The more ridiculous you got, the more sort of reserved all the people around would get. And, and even to the point where you'd be like falling over right in front of people. Like be like businessmen on the train platform and you'd walk past them and then fall over. And just nothing, like total poker face from these guys. It was, uh, it was like a hilarious slapstick uh, comedy routine for me. Mm. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Um, these days, of course, you're far more professional. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've, uh, I've generally uh, not tried to do that deliberately yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, it, still ha it still happens on occasion, but, you know, yeah. it's not deliberate anymore. <laughs> these days, of course, uh, you're known as being a sort of professional, burgeoning English language teacher. Um, tra <laughs> traveling to places like Ghana to, to help train people to teach English, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's kind of what my role is now. Yeah. Yeah. So she sort of, uh, developed, uh, beyond the falling down stairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, now, yeah. talking about your CV, Mike, I don't think falling down the stairs is something that you would, uh, you know, you'd put on the CV, but you have got, uh, quite an extensive CV, I think. Um, you said you first got into teaching just out of university. You didn't really know yeah. what to do, just like many of us. Um, how long have you been teaching now, then? Uh, now about 15 years. So it'd be okay. 15 years in, yeah, in October, yeah. So uh, 15 years now. So 1999 was uh, when I started and been doing it ever since. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. It's been a whirlwind, really. You've been to lots of different places, haven't you? Yeah. Yes, I have. So I've uh, worked in, I guess, in total now nine countries. So um, I started in Japan. Uh, I was there for about two and a half years. Uh, and then from Japan, I went to Australia. Uh, and it was actually in Australia where I did my first uh, teaching qualification, which was the CELTA, yeah. uh, which is kind of a requirement, I think, as you know, for uh, just entry level to become a teacher. Yeah. Um, and then from there, so I was there for about a year, then went to Taiwan for a year. Yeah. Uh, then came back to the UK, and that's when we 
I worked at that wonderful institute in, <laughs> in, in some, somewhere somewhere in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I went to uh, St. Giles for the first time and uh, did my diploma, uh, yeah. my Delta, while I was there. St. Giles. Uh, St. Giles, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to Berlin, and that's where I trained to become a CELTA trainer. Okay. Uh, and I went there for about a year or so. Yeah. Uh, then I moved to the Netherlands. I was there for four years. Yeah. Uh, also working on teacher training and uh, mm-hmm. examining as well. Uh, uh, and in between that time, I I worked in Vietnam uh, doing teacher training courses. I worked in the United States doing a teacher training course. Oh wow! Uh, and then I've also uh, well Ghana as well now. So about nine nine, nine countries in total. Japan, Australia, Taiwan, UK, Berlin, that's five, Netherlands, six, Vietnam, seven, USA, eight, Ghana, nine. Well done, you can count as well as as teach English. Uh, I know, I'm a multitasker. I see. So not only are you CELTA qualified, Delta qualified, you're also a teacher of teachers. So you're like... Yeah. You're like a Jedi Master at this point. I basically am. I am. I am Obi Wan. <laughs> you are, aren't you? You are Obi Wan Kenobi. Brilliant. Yeah. You've even got the beard as well for it. I do. I know. So I'm trying to get into the Christmas spirit. So, although it has the like, sadly, something that I have noticed in comparison to many years ago when I used to grow my beard. Mm. Um, now that I'm 36, I realise it's actually very white. <laughs> yeah, you've got a bit of grey in there. I've, yeah, I've been trying to convince myself it's blonde, but actually, it's. <laughs> It's it's kind of like you know it's gone from like a nice sort of like grey to kind of like a silver, really? and it's gone just given up on the silver and gone straight to white. Silver, so um, silver fox, basically, yeah. That's what I like to consider myself as being. Okay. Not many women would agree with you on that, but you I know, don't know. I don't like, I don't know. I think that the ladies like a bit of grey in the uh, uh, in the beard. You know, a bit of salt, they do. A bit of salt and pepper. You know. So exactly, I am, I'm sort of looking for that. You know, that that father fatherly sort of figure role right, model right that yeah girls are obviously interested in ladies out there any girls <laughs> listening to luke's english podcast i know there are many um if you like a, if you like you know a, a slightly grizzled uh experienced english teacher with uh uh you know the night a bit of gray in the beard there just you know it just it shows ex- his experience his life experience yeah just 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 think of a really really sort of like uh ugly jason uh statham look-alike yeah <laughs> I, Jason, Jason Statham, um, exactly with a slightly silvery beard. That's beard. that's the kind of thing we're looking at here, ladies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, out of all these places that you've been to, Mike, which ones are particularly memorable for you? I mean, you must have had some interesting experiences all around uh, the world. I, I think, yeah, I think you know, a lot. I've always had a, had a soft spot for uh, for Asia. So when I went back to Vietnam, I think that was that was quite. Uh, amazing to go back there um, but also like going back also gave me the opportunity to go and travel to Cambodia and have a look around around other places but I think I think Ghana with, without a doubt is probably in terms of uh, life changing sort of uh, uh, situations that, that was definitely it, it was something I'd never I think with Ghana it was, it, what was exciting about it was uh, I had no, no nothing to compare it to right. um, it was it was an experience that was unlike any other experience I've ever had so I did I didn't know what to expect when I when I when I got there mm. uh, but I think in terms of the effect that it had in terms of not just professionally but personally it was actually quite 
quite strong. Um, I think a lot of people talk about, you know, poverty and things, and uh, and it's certainly not, you know, the most impoverished country in Africa in comparison to other countries. Mm. Um, but it's still the standard of living is very low. Um, we were based about seven hours uh, north of uh, the, the capital city. As I've learned how to say it now, is Accra. 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 Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we were seven hours north of that. So when we arrived, we uh, we were picked up by a, a lady called Jill, uh, Jill Norris, who works for a. Um, it's called. She works for a, a kind of a charity, which is in connection with a uh, an independent school in Tunbridge Wells, mm. uh, and it's called GEP, which is the Ghanaian uh, Ghana Edu- uh, Education Project. Right. Uh, and her charity is primarily to sort of like uh, help raise education standards for Ghanaian girls. Right. And she's opened up an all-girls school over there. So she picked us up in our car and drove us up to Nkwanta, uh, where we were based for the three weeks. Yeah. Uh, and that was, a, yeah, it was about six and a half hours, seven hour car drive uh, on very bumpy dirt roads. Yeah. Uh, which was a bit a bit sore on the old bottom after about six and a half hours of bouncing around six and a half hours yeah. of bouncing up and down on your on your bum uh, yeah at that point were you thinking god i hope this is worth it yeah it was it was like it was pretty much like that okay. uh, and it was pretty much with the counter itself the only way to sort of describe it is it's it, it it's a town that's kind of been built on either side of uh uh basically in all purposes it's kind of like a motorway uh but dirt track and that road is goes all the way up and connects up to togo and Burkina faso um so the the town itself about fifteen thousand people uh they live on either side of this this road which is pretty much just red dust a red dust road red dust um red dust yeah it's a the the, the dust there is unbelievable um i would probably have to wash my clothes probably about three times a week really Uh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I, I had a nice pair of like uh, boots which I ta- had taken with me, um, which kind of like a greyish colour, and now they're just brown. They're, right, just, it's totally stained by the dust. I expect you've got um, lo- lots of clothes that are still covered in dust. Is that right? Yeah, can't yeah. get the dust out. Can't I, get it out. I went. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I went to Malay. Uh, I went to Indonesia this year, and we we climbed up a mountain and we got covered in dust there. A couple of my t-shirts just can't wear them again. I, I've washed them again and again. Can't get the dust out. They're just nothing been, at all. <laughs> yeah, they've just been dyed by the dust. Um, and so, yeah, you too. But it's this red dust. So, red dust, uh, a red dust kind of highway that connects what the 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 capital of of Ghana all the way up through to the yeah. sort of northern neighbouring countries. So yeah. this this highway, but it's just dust basically. There's no asphalt yeah. or tarmac no. or anything. And so no. um, uh, a town with about fifteen thousand people just sort of sitting either side of this this motorway, seven hours north of the capital city. Yeah. So you're right out in the middle of nowhere, deep in deep inside Ghana. Yeah. And so if as far as I understand, you work for this charity, the GEP, in order to yeah. Just, just so, to, yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the reason I went over there is so the, the the school I work for here in the UK is called St Giles, uh, and our school is divided into two sections. Uh, one section is a private language school, and the other side is the educational trust. Uh, and the trust is uh, where we run things like Delta, TKT, ICELT, um, uh, and CELTA, uh, which I work on. Um, so these are sort of like teacher tra- teaching qualifications, which 
you know, teachers can do, and that's what we're involved in. And the other part that the, the trust is quite heavily involved in is overseas and comments in developing countries. Mm. So the, the trust runs things in Bangladesh, Ethiopia, Malawi, uh, Kenya, Right. Uh, and this was the first year it, it, we'd done something in, in Ghana. Right. So my role was, um, uh, last year I was working as uh, acting head of teacher training uh, for St. Charles Highgate. Hmm. Uh, and I was asked if I'd be involved in setting up uh, this project. So I was <clears throat> I was the lead trainer, uh, which basically meant I was involved in designing the course, uh, recruiting uh, a trainer to go out with me mm-hmm. uh, to Ghana and run the project uh, and primarily be dealt with most of the communications with this lady called Jill in, in Ghana. Right. So our, our role was to go out and work, uh, sort of in, not so much teacher training, but more teacher development. Okay. Um, so you've got like a, there, there are a, bun- a team of teachers working in a school in this yeah. town and you're like helping to develop their, their teaching skills and yeah. so on. Okay. Basically, yeah. yeah. Right. So we'd, we'd go in uh, two days a week. We, we sort of went in the, the first day we, we, we were there. Um, well, the first week we arrived was a little bit... Uh, uh, it was very hard to to know what was going to happen. Mm. Uh, when we arrived, there was a general strike going on. Mm. Um, so none of the teachers were at, uh, uh, at school. Um, then there was a, a situation, sadly, with uh, one of the senior um, sort of district supervisors was uh, shot dead. Uh, really? Yeah, and the Monday, we met him on the Monday, and he was shot dead in the Monday evening. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, so that that created a bit of uh, tension. So, uh, in in the area, um, do you know why he was shot? Uh, I think he. It was all hearsay and rumours, really. I think a lot of it was about because he was very anti-corruption, okay. uh, and I think he was trying to clamp down on on various things. And I think it was something to do with that. Um, luckily, it wasn't tribal. Um, if if it had been tribal, then uh, up in that region there were two tribes where, where there has been history of tension between them. He was one particular tribe, and uh, it, that if that had been uh, if it had been the case that it was tribal, then that could have led to quite a lot of problems. But it was it was kind of hard because when we arrived and. It took quite a lot of uh, sort of liaising and mm-hmm. uh, myself and my colleague Simon having to be very proactive in trying to pin down teachers and get them to uh, to commit to, you know, they knew we were coming, but we, we, we was in some ways having to ensure that they would actually go back, be, be at the schools, right? Uh, which sadly, uh, as we discovered, was not always the case. So, uh, so when I was saying about it being kind of life-changing, one of the, the things that for me was... Uh, I've always, I'm an educationalist at heart, and I think yeah. uh, when you go out there and you, you you kind of actually really begin to appreciate what it is that we have, and actually begin to value education and, right. and the importance of education more than uh, than I used to. Um, so just when you go, sorry, what do we have then? I mean, com- if we compare what we have, let's say in the UK. Compared to what they have in Ghana, what is the difference? Well, uh, in terms of we, we have uh, generally a l- very good facilities um, and pretty much everything is at our fingertips. So things like, you know, we, we, we have, you know, you think about the language schools that we're, where we've worked at, every single class has interactive whiteboards, all the students are guaranteed materials, just basic things like pens, yeah. paper. Photocopiers. 
photocopiers, absolutely. And and when you get over there in the schools where we were located, there was no, there was no electricity in the schools. There was no running water in the schools. Um, the only sort of water that they had was kind of linked to a borehole. Um, so this wasn't drinking water, which is generally used for like you know pouring down to clean toilets and things. So the toilets were, for example, in the schools with you know three hundred kids in these schools, and they they share these sort of like uh, basically pits, basically a pit like the, just a hole in the ground. Basically, that's all it is, um, which wow. I luckily didn't have to use. <laughs> you managed to avoid the, the, the hole in the ground. I, I, I managed to control myself quite, quite well. You mean you just held on all day? I, I, I held on all day until okay. I got back to my nice Western, <laughs> Western toilet. So you actually had a Western uh, toilet in your, in your accommodation? Yeah, we had quite a nice little guest house. I wouldn't say it was, you know, there wasn't like a flash or anything. It was just like a, a clean bedroom and a shower and a toilet, really. That, and right. that was all, all I need, all Luxury. we needed, really. Luxury, that was basically it. Yes. So, um, but in terms of the facilities, so I'd said pretty much, you know, what, what we have here in, in the UK. Um, mm. Kids there, they generally not. They'd come to schools just in their uniforms, really. Um, they'd share maybe one course book between four. Um, most of the kids didn't have uh, pens or paper. Really? Uh, yeah. They, a lot of the time, the kindergarten that I, I went in to see, um, the children would practice writing on the, the floor of the classroom, actually on the concrete floor, just using chalk. Really? Um, just chalk on the floor? Wow. Chalk on the floor, yeah. Wow. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and the other thing I think that kind of hit struck me was, um, uh, I think that I, I'm not trying to say this is, you know, indicative of like Africa or anything like that. So I don't want it to be, you know, perceived not, that it's sort of like a judgment on, 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 yeah, on yeah. Africa or anything, you're not, but you're not making a general statement about Africa, but one, no, the, the teachers, I think that's, that that's the aspect which I found quite hard to, to, to sort of understand was when you have like 300 children, a lot of them walking up to five kilometers to school nice. uh, each day. So that's that's going. That's not just five kilometers in total. That's five kilometers to school, five kilometers home from school. Yeah, yeah. Thirty, thirty-five, thirty-six degree. You know, uh, Celsius. Yeah. Um, so these kids, so, these, these kids really want to learn. They're prepared yeah. to walk in thirty-eight degrees Celsius, yeah, five right. kilometers to get to. The school in the first place so they're seriously motivated to learn yeah uh, absolutely but the amazing. teachers wouldn't be there they're just, just, teachers just wouldn't come yeah they wouldn't come or they would turn up late or they would so the, the school day was supposed to go from 10 past 8 until 2 o'clock yeah. and uh we'd see teachers arriving at 10 o'clock teachers leaving before two o'clock um classes with maybe about 30 to 40 children in them with no teacher right um but the kids were so bright and so autonomous uh and they would they would just be sat in the classrooms diligently working by themselves teaching each other and one of the, the, the they they can they, you know these these kids are so bright they 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 can see how important education is uh, that education there is a way out it's a way of 
getting a better future. They can see that at that age. You know, six or seven-year-olds, the maturity levels of the, you know, these kids is very different to a six or seven-year-old here in the UK. These kids, you know, will be working in market stalls or be going to the farms on the weekend, carrying loads of up to 10 kilos on their heads to market. Um, and when they go to school, they they want to learn. So you, if there was a teacher there, what would happen would be a teacher would be teaching their class and all the other students, they would all be sitting at the windows, leaning in or sit, getting to the doorway of, of, of the class because there was a lesson going on. They yeah. want to learn. They want to, you know, the, the passion that they had was unbelievable. Wow. It makes me think about some of my students in some of my classes yeah. mm. who, who, you know, I, I'm teaching them, I'm doing my best, and I look around the class and I think, uh, how many of you are just waiting till the end of this class? It's, mm. I find that very, very sad. It just shows that it, often it's about the attitude of the students and sometimes, you know, and myself included, I'm sure, sometimes we take so many things for granted. But, um, you know, we take for granted the fact that we have education and facilities and, and, mm. and, and the, 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 our quality of life is pretty good. But these kids, they're, they're so desperate for some way to improve their situation that education for them becomes vital. And six or seven year old kids are fully aware of this and they're, they're yeah. like leaning into the window of another class just to be able to listen to some of the content that's going on. Amazing. That must have been incredible to see as a teacher. Did you actually teach any English classes while you were there? Yeah, we did. We stepped in a couple of times and uh, taught some classes yeah. because the teacher, teachers weren't there. So we stepped in and taught the classes. How was and it? The how, kid, yeah, how was it? Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. One one thing that was kind of... Because the uh, in Ghana, English is one of the official languages. Mm. Um, and it was, it was really interesting because we'd go in and we'd uh, be talking to the kids... Uh, because they understood their English is pretty good. So, but I'd be talking, but they wouldn't understand my accent at all. Yeah. And then a Ghanaian teacher would repeat exactly what I said, <laughs> but with their accent. And the kids would go like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I understand yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so that was quite hard. But then they thought, you know, the, from your experience, you know, as well from teaching that students, they, they, they'll tune into your accent quite quickly. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what happened. Um, but they were just very smart, very diligent, very, you know, hardworking. Um, and just basically they just lap everything up. They, they, they just want to get knowledge. They want to, uh, be given an opportunity to learn. And that was amazing. From a teaching point of view, one of the things in terms of resources that we, we know, so when we first got there, you know, teaching here in, in London, you know, or doing teacher training, we you know, have photocopy machines, we have our IWBs and interna interactive whiteboards to, mm -hmm. to make our, uh, our lessons really interesting and to, you know, to, to give them a bit of oomph in some ways to, to sort of like the presentation or yeah. handouts and photocopies. Yeah. To give it that and, sort of nice edge. Like sometimes, you know, you, 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 um, you pay a lot of attention to just the way in which the page is organized and the, if mm -hmm. it's color or black and white, mm -hmm. or if, if you like, uh, uh, have to, um, like use glue to glue something onto another photocopy. You have to make sure it's arranged in exactly the perfect mm. way and that every letter is, you know, uh, visible and so on. So, mm. you know, all these like fine little details and things, but over there, they're just, if they have paper, they're, yeah. they're lucky. Yeah. Basically, so we, so we sort of ended up having to redesign, uh, our whole, uh, so in the afternoons we do workshops for the teachers. Um, and we ended up having to 
go back to square one, just scrap everything and redo things. Mm. So basically, what ha- uh, we went down to the photocopy uh, office one day. There was one place where which had a photocopy machine, yeah. um, which cost a fortune to uh, to get things printed off. Um, yeah. Took a very long time to because in in the quanta there lots of power cuts. Um, basically, they just turn off the power to the region um, really? because they've had their share of electricity for that week, so they turn off the really? electricity. Yeah, so yeah on, Thurs- have- on Thursday, it's like, well, you've had all your electricity, that's yeah. it. <laughs> turn yeah. it off. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So we, so we ended up, you know, we're making these photocopies, but then it was a realisation of, well, we need to actually deliver our sessions uh based on the resources which they have available because th- there's no point in going and making all these like beautiful photocopies if it's, that's something that they don't have access to or they don't have the money to do that so in the end we just took the ideas from our you know our notes that we usually give people and we just use the the, the blackboard and chalk and then we'd write everything up and uh, and that's how we'd lead our sessions doing that so back to basics way, yeah absolutely and it is surprising and it is one of those things just in terms of teaching and i sort of think you know it's interesting what you said you know that we want to give a bit of edge and things to to, to our lessons and sometimes <clears throat> you know i've noticed that in teacher training as well that sometimes teachers sometimes spend a little bit too long on thinking of how to make, you know, that their lesson look good. Right. And I think that's sometimes a question that, and that, that made me question quite a lot of things that I would, you know, in my, in terms of my own teaching, I, I just began to sort of think, well, <clears throat> how much time am I spending on the presentations versus the content? Right. And I think if you're, you're sacrificing time on the content of your lesson, then that's not a good use of time. Yes. Um, and I saw some very effective lessons of basically using the blackboard and, and, and chalk and the course book. And mm. I think that's something I, I'm trying, I'm going to try to encourage at my school is that maybe that we have one day a week where teachers don't use the internet. We don't use, um, handouts. We don't use supplementary, but, Take yeah. the book and because a lot about you know the course because it's generally how the teacher sort of sets it up and it's the idea that the teacher has and I think using you know the resources that we have at our fingertips and I think maybe get us to go back and yeah. work on basics really yeah you know? I wonder from my students or my listeners um, I'm sure many of my listeners have spent time learning English in language schools I wonder what they think. So, listeners, what do you think? Do you, how do you feel about the presentation of like materials which are given to you by your teachers, um, about the the technology which is used in the classroom? How do you feel about, for example, the way the content is presented and the actual content of the lesson? Does it matter to you, for example, if your photocopies look perfect or or not? Um, what do you think about presentation versus content in terms of material and technology? I'd like to know. Leave your comments teacherloop.co.uk find the page for this episode boom bob's your uncle leave us a comment um so okay it sounds like it was a fascinating experience for you as a teacher because you learnt things about going back to basics and you made you know you realize there's just sometimes the simple approach is best i think it's known as the dogma approach right which is like just teaching without any um uh, without any of the technology, basically, just uh, really mm. simple teaching, just using the resources that are available there and then using the students as a resource and making it very direct and straightforward and simple. Um, I, I wonder also, though, about just the general experience as a as a person. I mean, how was it 
in terms of it being life changing i think you i think you probably mentioned that it's about just realizing what we have and the things we take for granted and what they have um i'm curious as to the the first impressions that you had when you first when you were going what did you expect first of all <coughs> um to be honest that was kind of uh, a really difficult that's kind of a difficult question actually mm. um because to be honest I, I i didn't know what to expect um i had nothing to compare it to i, I mean i obviously with the whole issue with ebola um that would that was obviously a concern right. um i i think that was something that i was concerned about most was either getting something like malaria or picking up some kind of bug yeah. which a lot of people obviously like because we've been not used to the sort of climate in terms of the uh the environment where we're going in in africa especially coming from western europe then yeah. we can pick things up quite easily tropical diseases um, and, and stuff yeah. like that yes <laughs> yeah you, you mentioned e kind of sorry you mentioned ebola there but um yeah. it, it wasn't really uh, a threat to you was it in ghana because they're, they're they don't have any cases of ebola there i think no that's right yeah yeah you, ghana's a very safe country in terms of like uh uh, the risk to uh, uh, risk from Ebola. There, there aren't any cases in Ghana. Yeah. Um, things which could be an issue were things like cholera, um, which is uh, there is a bit of an epidemic going on at the moment in the capital. Yes. Uh, malaria, where we were located, malaria was uh, um, rife, basically. Loads, so I met of, loads of malaria. Did you did you yeah. get bitten by mosquitoes out there? I, I I got bitten all the time. My my legs attract uh, mosquitoes. Your beautiful uh, legs. My, legs. My beautiful white legs, Luke. You remember those? And I, yeah, I just got bitten all the time. But I, I was on anti-malarials, and I was using even though I was using very strong DEET, which is a an insect repellent. I still they, they still bit me. Right. Uh, every every evening, I sort of wake up in in bed under my mosquito net, scratching my feet. It right. was just very uncomfortable. Did so you, uh, yeah. Did, did you take uh, malarone, the uh, anti anti-malarial? Malarone. That's what I yeah. That's what ha, I took, yeah. Did you get any side effects from malarone? No, no. I think it, it, there's one. Uh, oh, I forgot La the name. La La Larium, I think. Larium, yeah. I think that's the one that makes people go a little bit psychotic. <laughs> uh, so no, no. So I know. Unfortunately, my psychosis I couldn't blame on the anti-malarial. Right, it's just your normal it's psychosis. Just, it's just my normal psychosis. Oh, I so, see. So, I you know, so. I took Malarone this summer, um, and uh, I have to say that it gave me very weird dreams every night. I don't. Really? I mean, I, I often dream, but uh, I had particularly strong dreams on the on the Malarone. Uh, really, really vivid. Um, in fact, to be honest, one night I dreamt that I was. This is really weird. I've got lots of Russian listeners to my podcast. I don't know why this appeared in my dream, but I dreamt that I was being attacked by a Russian soldier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this really big Russian soldier grabbed me and he was like squeezing me and I tried to fight back and I tried to like push him in the face. You know those dreams where you're trying to punch someone and you can't do it? Yeah. You know that? I had one of those dreams and I was like trying to push this guy away and uh I woke up because I pushed my girlfriend in in the bed <laughs> next to me. I shoved her in the arm and she woke me up like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm really sorry. I was fighting against a Russian soldier." She's like, "What are you talking about? Go back to sleep." <laughs> so obviously I blamed it on the malarone. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the malarone. I promise. 
Um, okay, but you didn't really have you didn't really have any bad experiences. No, no, I, I was actually health wise was absolutely fine. Okay, yeah, good. Didn't have any problems. All right. At all. Your colleague picked up uh, the malaria, though, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he he got it. The thing about malaria is that there's a seven day incubation period, so you could literally just get you know bitten while we're waiting at the airport, and then you know seven days later you get the the symptoms. Uh, so it, I mean, the thing that's also kind of uh, going back to you know the, the question you asked about life changing was. Some of the differences over there is, is like, you know, they live with malaria. Everyone's, you know, had malaria a lot of times. So basically, Ghanaians say, just get on with it. Mm. You know, you see them walking around looking tired, and a lot of them have got malaria, and they just right. go down the pharmacy, get get a drug. You know, they go through like three days of feeling pretty bad, but they feel pretty bad. But they they just they go to work, they continue it because with malaria, it's not contagious. You can't p- pass it on. Yeah. Um, but over here, for example, it's, you know, my colleague went down to the hospital, they tested him for malaria, and next thing he's raced off to uh, the tropical medicine, you, medical university or something like that, and uh, put on these, like, amazing drugs, put in, you know, amazing facilities, and, yeah. I, and sometimes it just sort of, like, the, the, I think it's the hardiness of the, the Africans that really uh, got me, you know, it was like... Uh, Resilience. Yeah, the resilience was unbelievable. You know, when you see, you know, I went to this uh, uh, small little town called Chiari, yeah. uh, which is located in the mountains. Uh, so it took about, I think it was a three-hour walk up to the top. Yeah. Uh, and at the top, there was a little uh, isolated community where they speak their own language. So you have to go with a guide who speaks their language. Yeah. The guide we went with is originally from this area. Right. Uh, and when we got there, we had to meet all of the the village elders to be welcomed and be given permission to come into their town. Right. Uh, so we went up into this little local uh, community, uh, and the thing is, these these paths, like you know, they're up these steep mountainsides, and we'd see young girls all the way up to elderly women carrying loads of like it, it must have been the loads on their heads must have been some of them would be like 20 k's 20 kilograms of weight on their heads wow. and they'd be walking up and down the mountainside walking the 10 kilometers to the market and walking home again and the, the 10 kilometers walking in that heat they, they leave around about five in the morning uh to get there for about 10 o'clock and then they'll once been to the market then they'll, they'll come back again and you walk past these people and not every single person we walk past would say to us, "You are welcome." That was the Ghanaian term. You are welcome, meaning welcome to our, you know, our country. Welcome, you know. And every single person we met there was always a smile on the face. No one complained. No one was saying like, "Oh, this is hard." Oh, my life is difficult. Oh, I, you know. And it just made me sort of think about, you know, in terms of like illness, in terms of things like this. You know, when I got back, you know, and then I had a slight cold and I, I really felt like taking the day off from work and I and I, and I just start like thinking about these people and I think that you know, they don't have that luxury. They get on with it. They go, oh, whatever, I've got malaria. I'm still going to go to work. And I'm thinking, yeah. I've, got that, I've got a head cold. 
<laughs> just for, you know, the comparison, it was just unbelievable. But then also yeah. like thinking about the, the students and the attitudes of students. So, you know, when I'm as a teacher and I just began to think about my students who, you know, they live only about a 20 minute walk away from the school and they're late for class or they, they don't come to class. And the next day they tell you, oh, I was really sleepy, I was tired. And I, and I just sort of think, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but it, it did make me sort of question sort of, things which i've yeah. seen in the class but also it made me question things about my own lifestyle and things which i do so yeah, yeah. so in that way it was eye-opening that's uh that thing you said about uh the um what did you say about kid uh, the students who have excuses like they say um um they say things like, oh yeah, I was feeling a bit sleepy or the bus was, was late or something. It's just not good enough, isn't it? I mean, they're blatantly excuses. I remember I had one student who, um, had been in national service. Like he was a soldier. He'd been in the army for two years or something and he missed a class one day and he came in. I said, why didn't you come to class yesterday? He said, oh, I had like a really bad stomach. I was feeling really bad. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're a soldier. You're a hardened military trained killing machine and <clears throat> you had a little bit of a stomach ache so you couldn't come to your English class. I mean, and it's really pathetic it, it, yeah, it really yeah. is so these yeah i can see how that really sort of opened your eyes um definitely how did you feel completely out of place because i imagine you in uh ghana like uh i mean like what first of all what do you look like mike you mentioned before you look <laughs> like jason statham tell us a little <laughs> bit more about your appearance and how that how you felt <clears throat> in terms of an outsider Okay, okay, for all you lovely ladies out there, here's my, uh, here's my description for my, uh, <laughs> 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 so I, I, I have, uh, basically I have no hair, uh, I have a shaved <laughs> head. <laughs> It's like, there's only one way of putting it, really, isn't it, Luke? I, I could say, like, Basically, you know... Basically, uh, uh, that's it. Hair. I'm not going to beat around the bush. bush. Let's just get straight down to it. There that's, is no hair on my head. you got hair on your face. I do, I do. Unfortunately, it's uh, yeah, the only place it sort of seems to grow at the moment. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so anyway, I'm... Uh, some I'm some ladies you. like a bald bloke. They do, yes, yes. They, um, I, I heard I, I, uh, somewhere I read on Facebook or something the other day, like, you know, 10 reasons why bald men are, make good lovers. And and to be honest, Mike, the first point on that list was because they look like... <laughs> <laughs> they look like Jason I'm not Jason. sure I take the, uh, the, the article was supposed to be taken seriously because the first point was that... You look like a big cock. That was the, that was the first point. I don't know if uh, if it was a serious article to be to be honest. Anyway, how did you feel looking like a, 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 a big a, cock in Ghana? Jason Statham uh, out there in in Ghana. Um, well, you obviously um, you, there's there's not much you can get away with because pretty much we there are only four white people in the entire place. Uh, you, couldn't, so, you couldn't do the drunken gaijin then. No, no, because they don't know it was me. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, it was it was more the, the, the fascination of like, especially the young kids. Um, they just kind of stare. Uh, the name for you is called a Bruni. I mean, you mentioned before about uh, uh, Gaijin, but over there is a Bruni, which means a uh, white man. Uh, so everywhere you'd walk, would be like a Bruni, a Bruni, a Bruni. And uh, we, I think the one day we walked into this school, uh, a different school, not the one that we were going into work at, but we visited another school. And we just happened to walk through like the playground and probably about 250 kids got up and ran out of their classes and just came running across and just surrounded us and just like <laughs> pulling at us and touching and 
touch shaking your hand and wow. you know it was it was amazing they were just wonderful and then we ended up chasing them around the playground and they thought it was the funniest thing in the world wow. um i think one of the the, the shocks was was uh, my uh we met a, a, a lovely guy and his family. He's a guy called uh, Emmanuel uh, and his uh, lovely wife, Diane. Um, we went around to his uh, house and I met his uh, his young son and his uh, little daughter. His son was hysterical. He was just a wonderful, wonderful kid. Yeah. Uh, and his daughter, who's only four months old, and uh, <laughs> every time it seemed to be with me, not with my colleague. <laughs> but she'd, I walk in, and she'd, uh, she'd be, they'd be holding her, and she'd sit, slowly sort of turn and and just look at me, and then you could just see her face crimple up, and she'd just start crying her eyes out. <laughs> But it's so terrifying, Mike. <laughs> it was every single time I went there, and I could, you know, she stopped crying. Uh, you know, mum and dad like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then they turn her around, and she'd see me again. It was like, oh my god, he's still here, he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so that, that was that was like one of those moments which is quite funny. Um, but overall, I mean, Ghanaian people are so welcoming. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm. It just every, everywhere you went, you, you know, people were helpful and supportive. I mean, I met this uh, lots of times. You know, people they ask ask for your phone number and things like this. So give our phone number and sometimes you know at the back of your mind thinking is, is there a you know a, a reason for this anyway I, I was off work on wednesday last week and i was at home and uh, my, my phone rang and uh, so i picked it up and it was one of the Ghanaian guys uh i just happened to meet in a in a bar when i was having a beer one night just chatting to him yeah and he called me up and he said oh, i'll try to call your Ghanaian number but it's not working anymore and so i thought call you in the uk and he reminded me who he was and uh and he just said uh i told you i wanted to call you and greet you and i'm just calling to say hello and i was like wow, wow okay thank you thank you for calling and That's uh really nice and it was yeah it was wonderful and it was uh but they, they're just generally such a laid-back uh a uh, group of individuals they're very easygoing uh but very supportive of one another very helpful uh and uh yeah uh, and yeah it, I, I would highly recommend the country to anyone if you have an opportunity to go there obviously the capitals like any capital so it is very big polluted and things like this but if you have the opportunity to go out into the countryside and uh, or even to go and volunteer somewhere then I, I would highly recommend it was that the gep that you mentioned before that's right that good, yeah um organization that people should uh sh maybe find out about if they want to go and volunteer can they do it through that organization yeah yeah, yeah. you can volunteer through uh through that organization to teach at uh the school there um I'm not. You'd have to go to the to the if you go onto the Ghana Education Project uh, and have a look what the requirements are for volunteering. Um, there were two young German uh, girls that we met who were volunteering for a year, um, and yeah, they, they 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 were loving the the opportunity to to be out there and and things like that. And I, so I'd highly recommend it. But then there are other organizations. There were lots of uh, charities and things out there. I mean, one of the things I would probably say to any of your listeners you know if you 
sometimes having you know just having money and just donating money it's it sometimes just kind of you know, while we're sort of giving the money, sometimes it's you don't necessarily know where that money's going to go. But just, if you ever have the opportunity, just even if it's just for like a week, to go and volunteer in a school or a or in an orphanage or in a hospital or anything like that, that one week probably carries more value than than just putting some money in the post. Actually, yes. Uh, so I'd highly recommend anyone if you ever have an opportunity to do something like that, go and do it. So, okay. I mean, I, I, I'm. I'm I'm looking forward to going back. I'll probably be going back to Ghana towards the end of next year. Um, but in the meantime, hopefully going out to a couple more places in Africa next year to work as well. Yeah, really. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to go back to Africa. I, it's very, yeah, it was very hard coming home, actually. And, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, it was very, very hard coming home. So uh, I could see that it, it was an area in terms of my profession where I, I want to be more involved uh, yeah. I, I sort of move away from what I'm doing at the moment and be more involved in maybe uh, potentially in the future. I think working for an NGO with something like that would be something that, that I, I would love to do. Yeah. Well, great. I think it's a really good move. Excellent. Thanks so much for telling us all about the experience. No problem at all. It's really interesting and fascinating. Um, so great. Okay, are you at work tomorrow morning? Yes, I am, and then I'm on holiday for four days before Christmas. So, hey, hey. Oh, hey. yeah, so you got four days off, and then you've got your Christmas holidays. No, I've got four days off, and then I go back to work for a week. So, I've got, I, I, I found out that I had four paid holidays that I had to take, otherwise, I'll lose them. Uh, so because they're not carried over so I, i've got four days off so i'm just going to go around lots of galleries and museums well hopefully I have to fortunately give up one of my days for the uh, uh to sort out the boiler in my house and then uh, then i want to go and uh explore some of the galleries and uh, uh museums in london which I, I i sort of not uh not gone to so that's that's my yeah. plan yeah, there's so many great things to do in London that you can kind of take them for granted. Like my students, when I taught in London, they would always be very surprised when I hadn't been to a place. You know, they would say, oh, what's the what's the Greenwich Observatory like? And I'd say, I don't know, I've never been. Be like, oh, what? You've never been? But you live in London. Um, you don't realise that when people live there, there's sort of two types of London. There's the London um, for the people who live there, and they just go to work every day. And when they're not at work, they just stay at home in their little part of London, generally. And then there's the the tourists who are there for like you know two, three, or four weeks, and they see as much stuff as they can every single day. Um, so, all right. So you're going to be a bit of a tourist in yeah, London. Yeah, going to be a bit of a tourist for four days. Absolutely. I'm doing basically anything that involves uh, no money is what I'll be doing. Right. <laughs> okay. Great. Thanks for being on the podcast. No uh, problem. Do you have anything else to say to the people of the world? Keep it real, kids. Keep it real. Okay. Respect. <laughs> Respect for you, man. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Speak to you again soon, Mike. Okay. Speak to you later, mate. Bye. Nice one. Bye for now. So that was my conversation with Mike Bruce about his epic teaching experience in Ghana. I found that really interesting. I hope that you did too. As ever, I'm always interested in uh, reading your responses um, to my episodes. So if you've got something to say, um, do go to teacherluke.co.uk, find the page for this episode, leave your comments below. I'd like to know what you thought about that experience and if you've had any other similar experiences yourselves. 
enter the conversation, please do leave your comments on the webpage. Um, also, go to the page for this episode and you'll be able to see a slideshow of photographs that will give you a good idea of what it looked like over there as well. Um, so that's basically it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening to Luke's English Podcast. More episodes will be uploaded in the near future, but for now, it's just time for me to say goodbye. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.